everyone, and welcome back to True Crime with Kendall Ray. I am so happy to have you here joining me to discuss yet another case. And if you are new, then welcome. So really quick before we jump in here, I just wanted to remind you guys that I'm currently matching donations for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. You can donate any amount on my campaign page. It will be linked below and I will match it. And I will be doing that from now until the end of the year. So you have until December 31st to make those donations. And thank you in advance to all of you who have already donated. And if you would like to, I also have, of course, our Neckmet collection with a new hoodie available at kendallray.shop and 100% of the proceeds from that collection also goes to Neckmec. Anyway, thanks for being patient with me. Let's go ahead and jump into this case. Now, this was one that my friend told me about. She is a cyclist and lived in Vermont at the time, and she told me to check out this case, and I have been following it since then. And recently, trial has wrapped up, and I wanted to cover it now because we really have a full picture of everything that has unfolded and it is truly mind-blowing. So let's start by talking about the victim in this case, Anna Mariah Wilson, or Mo, which is what most people know her as. She was born on May 18th, 1996 in Littleton, New Hampshire to her parents, Eric and Karen. She had one brother named Matthew, and with that, their family of four was complete. However, despite being born in New Hampshire, Mo and her brother were raised in Vermont. Now, everyone in the Wilson family was athletic, and that definitely did not skip Mo. From a young age, Mo participated in a handful of sports, but the two that quickly became her favorites were cycling and skiing, which doesn't shock me considering Vermont is an incredible place for both of these things. And in addition to her passion for sports, Mo was also incredibly smart. After graduating from Burke Mountain Academy in 2014, she went on to get her bachelor's degree in engineering from Dartmouth College. And like most graduates, when Mo finished college, she decided to start her career in the field that she got her degree in, which in her case was engineering, but she quickly realized that she didn't want to do that forever. And because skiing and cycling were such big passions of hers, and she had the talent and skill to go pro in either, she ended up becoming a professional cyclist and was well on her way to being at the top of her industry. Her athleticism paired with her hard work ethic and drive for success not only made her a threat to the competition, but also a threat to herself and I do mean that positively. She was just the kind of person that worked incredibly hard and put everything she had into everything she did, and it definitely paid off for her. In the last few years of her life, Mo had already earned her way up to the top in her industry and was already beating records and making a name for herself. In fact, in November of 2020, she biked Moab's White Rim Trail, which is a 100-mile loop that she completed in under seven hours hours, which set a record for female cyclists and is extremely impressive. So it's safe to say that if you are in the cycling community, a lot of you out there probably knew the name Mo Wilson. And not just for her insane talent, but also her kindness, her warmth. She was a very genuine and loving person that left a huge impact on so many people. And in September of 2021, fellow professional cyclist Colin Strickland became one of those people who knew Mo's name. That month, during a three-day gravel race in Idaho, Colin was introduced to Mo, and he was immediately blown away by her talent. They quickly became friends, and he had hoped that he could potentially find her some sponsors. And then, after meeting for the first time, they met again, this time in Bentonville, Arkansas, where Mo was competing in a race that Colin's girlfriend also happened to be competing in. Now, the thing is... Colin's girlfriend, Caitlin Armstrong, who we will be talking about a lot today, 
was nowhere near as talented as Mo. And that's something that many people believe sparked her initial jealousy. And this weekend where the three of them were together seems to have been the beginning of the end. Because while they were in Bentonville, Caitlin and Colin ended up getting into a huge argument and they ended up breaking up over it for a few weeks. Now, according to Colin, the reason the two of them got in this big fight was because he ended up going on a bike ride with a few other cyclists while they were there and Caitlin wasn't invited. And it's not even clear if Mo was one of the cyclists that was invited on this bike ride, but whether she was or not doesn't really matter because that wasn't the reason why Caitlin wasn't invited. Colin says that Caitlin wasn't invited because she didn't have the experience to keep up with the group. He says that she was extremely angry about this and that he ended up breaking up with her over it. But what made this breakup extra tricky is the fact that Colin and Caitlin were living together at his home in Austin, Texas. Colin and Caitlin met on a dating app back in 2019, and they ended up moving in together, even though Colin wasn't ready and said he did not want to move in with her, but he felt bad because there was a winter storm that caused damage to her home and she needed a place to stay. So he decided to let her stay with him. And from what I can tell, this breakup in Bentonville was not the first time that they broke up. He has called their relationship tumultuous on many occasions, and the term on again, off again has also been used to describe them. But at this point in time, they were off again. So Colin was single, and only five to six days later, he saw Mo again. And I'm sure you can probably guess where this is going, but when they saw each other again, they became romantically involved, but not for long. From what I can tell, they continued being romantically involved for the next two weeks after this, but it ended because Colin and Caitlin ended up getting back together. So they're on again. Now, this whole love triangle saga has been pretty contested in the media. There's a lot of debate back and forth, but according to Colin, there was never any overlap in the relationships. He says that he and Mo never officially defined their relationship in any official capacity, and also that he never cheated on Caitlyn. And once he and Caitlyn got back together, he says that yes, he remained friends with Mo, but that's all they ever were, just friends. And even Mo's family and friends have said that in the weeks leading up to her death, Mo was not in a relationship. Caitlyn though, on the other hand, would probably disagree. In fact, when Colin and Mo were in that romantically involved period for those two weeks, Caitlin figured out Mo's phone number and actually contacted her on a few occasions. And some would say that her contact with her was more like harassment. And I can't say that I disagree. Even though she and Colin were not together during this time, she texted Mo and told her that Colin was her boyfriend and to stay away from him. And Mo even told Colin about what Caitlin was doing because not only was it weird, it was also scary. And she wanted to have him tell her to stop. However, like I said, Colin and Caitlin end up getting back together in early November. Now, why he would wanna get back together, especially after she was harassing is beyond me. 
you know, you don't know what goes on in people's relationships though. And for some reason they get back together. Doesn't really matter why, but they did. So they get back together and for the next several months, things seem to be fine with them, at least from the outside looking in. On the inside though, Colin was dealing with Caitlyn's extreme jealousy. Like I get the jealousy. You and your boyfriend break up for two weeks and in that time, he meets someone who is not only younger than you, but also more talented than you. And then after you get back together, they remain friends. I can see how that would build jealousy. But let me be extremely clear when saying that jealousy is not an excuse for what Caitlin Armstrong did. And that is murder, Anna Mariah Wilson. So let me explain how all of that unfolded. At the time, Mo was living in San Francisco, but she flew to Austin on May 10th, 2022 for the 150 mile gravel locos race in Heiko, Texas. And not only was she competing in the race, but she was expected to win. And luckily for Mo, she had a good friend that lived in Austin, just two hours outside of Heiko, and she was more than welcome to let her stay at her place. Now this friend goes by Cash, which is her last name, and we will talk more about her later. But Mo flew into Austin on the 10th, and by the 11th, she was texting Colin to make plans to hang out just as friends. On the 11th, they texted one another back and forth to solidify some type of plan. And by 4.49 p.m., she sent him the address of where he could pick her up. Less than an hour later, at 5.43 p.m., Colin arrives to pick her up on his motorcycle. And the two of them went to Deep Eddy Swimming Pool, where they went swimming, of course. And after swimming, they went to Pool Burger, which is a restaurant across the street. And at 8.36 p.m., Mo was dropped off back at her friend's house. Now I've given you guys three very specific times, 449, 543, and 836. And I'm obviously not just making up these times or giving you estimations. Now we know these specific times because the house that Mo was staying at with her friend had one of those electronic locks on it. Not only does it internally record every time the door is locked and unlocked, but it would also send her friend a text message saying that Mo's unique door code had been used. And for anyone not familiar with these kind of locks, you can basically either give someone who's staying with you the code that you use, or you can make them their own unique code for while they're staying with you. So in this case, Mo had her own unique code to get in and out of the house. Now this technology ended up being extremely helpful in the investigation. It made it easy to establish a timeline for that evening. And not surprisingly, it was technology in general that made this case that much easier to solve. So getting back to the timeline, we know that at 836, Mo arrived back at her friend's house. And data from her phone shows that she spent the next 37 minutes or so on her phone. A final text from her phone was sent at 9.13 p.m. And then, just two minutes later, audio from a nearby security camera picked up sounds of screaming and then gunshots. The first two were back-to-back, and then the third and final gunshot was just a few seconds later. Now, the audio from her final moments has been released to the public, and there are plenty of places to hear it. I will link it in the description box, but after careful consideration, I didn't think it was necessary to play on this channel. It's very upsetting, and it doesn't change the fact that Mo lost her life. I figured some of you probably aren't comfortable listening to it, and for the sake of her family, I didn't think we needed to include it. And for more than 30 minutes, Mo was left alone, bleeding out, on the floor of her friend's house. Her friend Cash came home that night at 10 p.m. and had no idea the scene that she was about to walk into. She goes into her house and finds Mo lying in a pool of her own blood 
on the bathroom floor. As you can imagine, this was an absolute nightmare for her and she talked a little bit about it in court. So of course she calls 911 and she spends the next 10 minutes on the phone with a dispatch on speaker as she's trying to give Mo chest compressions and save her life. But unfortunately, what she and the dispatcher didn't know is that it was already too late. Mo was gone and was officially pronounced dead by first responders at 10.10 p.m. Mo suffered two gunshot wounds to the head and then one additional gunshot wound to her heart. Now, I've already made it clear that Caitlin was the one who killed Mariah, but how did she do it and how did investigators find out? Well, the truth is their job wasn't that hard. With investigators on scene, a few things were taking place. Number one, the scene was being photographed and evidence was being collected, including the shell casings that were found around Moe's body. And two, the neighborhood was being canvassed for surveillance cameras, as well as Moe's bike, which appeared to have been stolen. Her bike was quickly recovered 68 feet from the house, but had clearly been abandoned by whoever took it. Now, when it came to surveillance cameras, investigators just got lucky. They realized that a neighbor had a security camera that was facing the front of Cash's house. And what they found on the camera ended up being a huge piece of evidence. At 8.37 p.m., just one minute after Mo returned home, a black Jeep Grand Cherokee with a bike rack on the hitch of the car and a luggage rack on the roof was seen circling the neighborhood several times. And while the camera didn't capture a clear image of the car's license plate, it didn't take investigators long to identify it as Caitlin Armstrong's vehicle. And that night, when speaking to investigators, Cash told them what she knew about Moe's day. And that, of course, included details of her evening with Colin Strickland. And so investigators obviously contact him and want to speak to him right away. So they were able to pull Colin's information and find his address. And by the next day, May 12th, officers with the Lone Star Fugitive Task Force went to his house to question him. And by then, they'd also obtained a search warrant. It turns out that two of Caitlin's closest friends independently contacted the Austin Police Department, telling them that they needed to look into Caitlin Armstrong in connection with the murder. And these friends shared information with authorities that led them to believe there was a high possibility that Caitlin was responsible. Now, I will share more details of this information later on, but they felt like the chances were pretty high that she was involved. So with that information and the fact that the last person Mo was with was Colin Strickland, the man who lived with Caitlin, investigators went to their house on the 12th to speak with them and also to issue the search warrant. And right off the bat, guess what they noticed? In the driveway was a black Jeep Grand Cherokee with a bike rack on the hitch and a luggage rack on the roof, an exact match to the car seen circling right before Mo was murdered. And that wasn't all that they found. During the execution of the warrant, they also found two firearms as well as shell casings, shell casings that also matched the shell casings that were found around Mo's body that belonged to Caitlin's firearm. Now, this search took place while Colin and Caitlin were being separately interviewed. And I'm going to tell you about the conversations that authorities had with the two of them, starting with Colin. On the 12th, Colin voluntarily followed investigators back to the police department, where he answered questions for several hours. 
of course, he was asked about his relationship with Caitlin. He was asked about his relationship with Mo, and he explained to them pretty much everything I've explained to you. He tells them that his relationship with Caitlin was rocky, and at times they broke up, got back together, and one of those times being when he and Mo became romantically involved. He even told investigators about how Caitlin had contacted Mo while they were together and how that freaked her out. And get this. He also tells investigators that in order to contact Mo as friends and communicate with her, he had to change her name in his phone so that Caitlin wouldn't find out. And not only that, he also tells them how he had to delete any conversations he had with Mo after they were done speaking. Now, I already know a lot of you are going to be wondering, you know, why did he feel the need to delete these messages and change her name in his phone if they weren't romantically involved, they're just friends. And there's a lot of speculation over whether there was more, but it really doesn't matter. I don't want to lose sight of what we're talking about. And that is that Mo was murdered. Even if Colin was cheating on Caitlin with Mo, and I'm not saying he was because we just don't know. It doesn't change anything and it doesn't justify what happened at all. But anyway, Colin tells investigators everything that he and Mo did the day before and gave them a timeline to the best of his ability. And part of that timeline was what he did after he dropped Mo off. According to Colin, and this was corroborated later by GPS and cell data, he drops Mo off and then he takes his motorcycle and stops in an alleyway and then texts Caitlin. And that text reads, hey, are you out? I went to drop some flowers for Allison at her son's house up north and my phone died. Heading home unless you have another food suggestion. Now, obviously, this was a lie. And he admitted to police that this was a lie and that he lied because he didn't want Caitlin to know that he was with Mo. But it didn't matter because Caitlin knew exactly where Colin was and who he was with. And also in this interview, Colin positively identified the Jeep as belonging to Caitlin. And he said that on the night of the murder, Caitlin came home driving that car her and her alone. And lastly, he shared that he was the one to purchase the two firearms, one in December of 2021 and one in January of 2022, but confirmed that the nine millimeter was Caitlin's and registered in her name. So if it wasn't already clear, he is very compliant and forthcoming with information. Now let's talk about Caitlin being questioned because the circumstances were very different. They ended up getting her in for questioning because she was arrested but not for the murder, for something else. When investigators looked into Caitlin before officially confronting her, they found out she had a class B felony arrest warrant out in her name. And she had this class B felony arrest warrant because Caitlin had gotten Botox done at a med spa or something like that. And it's an expensive service. Botox can be very pricey. And when she was done, Caitlin didn't want to pay for the Botox. So they called the police. But all of this ended up being sort of a good thing because Caitlin now had to go with investigators whether or not she wanted to. But once they arrived at the station, detectives found out that, unfortunately, Caitlin's arrest warrant was no longer valid because her birthday was listed incorrectly. So she was free to go. But even though she was free to go... She decides to stay 
and answer a few questions. So Caitlin sat with a detective and she was asked some pretty basic questions like if she knew what happened. And according to an arrest affidavit that was issued later on, Caitlin said that she knew that a girl in the cycling community had died, but that's about as much as she shared. And that same affidavit says that Caitlin sat very still while being interviewed and that she rolled her eyes angrily when she was asked if she knew that Colin and Mo were romantically involved. And after rolling her eyes, she said that she didn't know that Colin had seen or even went out with this girl as of recently. And then they bring up the fact that her car was seen outside of Cash's house the night that Mo was murdered and she didn't have an explanation for this. She simply nodded her head in agreement when investigators said, maybe you were upset and just in the area. But after this, Caitlin requested to leave and they had to let her go home. And keep in mind by this point, it had only been one day since the murder and things were already ramping up. Even if they didn't have all the evidence they needed yet to arrest her, they were pretty confident that she was their prime suspect. So they continued their investigation and worked to get an arrest warrant as quick as they could. But in the meantime, on May 13th, Caitlin was already planning her first escape. That day, she sells her Jeep for $12,200 to a CarMax in South Austin. And then the following day, she was seen on surveillance at Austin International Bergstrom Airport wearing white pants, a blue sweater, and carrying what appeared to be a yoga mat. And it would later be revealed that Caitlin took a flight from Austin to LaGuardia with a stop in Houston. However, her final destination was a complete mystery. But meanwhile, back in Austin, investigators are doing everything they can to confirm what they already know. And an anonymous call came in from someone claiming to be Caitlin's friend, and it ended up being a big help. According to this caller, Caitlin found out that Mo and Colin were still texting each other in January of 2022. And when she found out, she was shaking with anger. And not just that, the caller also says that Caitlin was so angry that she wanted to kill Mo and that she had either already purchased a gun or was planning to. So yeah, as you can imagine, investigators' confidence that Caitlin is their girl is through the roof. And by May 17th, less than a week after the murder, a warrant was issued for Caitlin's arrest. But what do you know? Caitlin is nowhere to be found when investigators go to her house to make the arrest. Because as we already know, Caitlin was in New York, planning to board a flight to Costa Rica. On May 18th, Caitlin used her sister's name and passport to board a flight from Newark Airport to San Jose, Costa Rica, where she would end up hiding out and evading arrest for 43 days. Now, obviously, this information is available to us now, but at the time, investigators had no idea where she was. Yes, they had surveillance footage placing her at three different airports in a matter of days, but after combing through flight records, Her name was nowhere to be found. So for just over six weeks, Caitlin was out living her best life as a free woman in Santa Teresa. Now, Santa Teresa, which is only a three-hour drive and a two-hour ferry ride from the San Jose airport, seemed like the perfect place for Caitlin. Not just because it's beautiful and remote, but because it's somewhere where she could practice and teach yoga. One thing about Caitlin that I haven't shared with you yet is that she was a yoga enthusiast. So much so back in 2018, she actually went to Bali and did a month-long intensive teaching course. And some of the people who were there with her in Bali say that something was just off about Caitlin. 
But with her past aside, Santa Teresa is where she thought she could get her fresh start. I mean, it was a tiny little beach town where she hoped she would never be recognized. And this is where it gets even more insane because Caitlin took steps to alter her identity. She changed her name to Ari Martin, cut and dyed her hair, and even went as far as getting a nose job. For six weeks, she is just living her best in Costa Rica, chilling on the beach, teaching yoga, getting plastic surgery. And meanwhile, Mo's friends and family are devastated and scared, wondering what is going to happen. How are they going to get justice? Where is Caitlin? And she was staying at Don John's Surf and Yoga Lounge for less than $20 a night. It's a hostel. And according to people who were there, she could often be found doing or teaching yoga, sitting on her laptop in the lounge's common area, or having a drink with locals. And to her, this new life of hers was just beginning, but the reality was is it was coming to an end. Because of course, back at home, U.S. Marshals are working tooth and nail to try and locate her. And on May 25th, authorities announced that not only was Caitlin wanted for first-degree murder, but an additional charge of unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. They worked with international authorities to disseminate her photo. And finally, after 43 days, Caitlin Armstrong was captured. On June 29th, she was just sitting at the hostel's patio table when she was arrested by U.S. Marshals. Her arrest was announced the following day, and with that, the extradition process began. And there are photos of Caitlin being extradited back to Texas, where she was facing the charge of first-degree murder and unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. And at the time, it was believed that she would be held on a $3.5 million bail, and that did end up being the case rightfully deserved. And obviously that amount was so high because homegirl is a flight risk. New tonight, the woman accused of killing pro cyclist Mo Wilson in Austin is back in the U.S. Caitlin Armstrong arrived in Houston this evening at around five. Photos show at least five guards escorting her through the airport. Armstrong was on the run for 43 days until authorities arrested her this past Wednesday in Costa Rica. She'll appear before a judge in Houston before she's transferred to Travis County where she faces a $3.5 million bail. And Caitlin was officially extradited back to the U.S. on July 4th, 2022. And I remember this so clearly. I remember hearing about it while laying in bed. I was very, very pregnant and depressed. It was raining. It was 4th of July. And I remember being so fascinated by all this going on and, and happy that they had finally caught her. And just 16 days later, she appeared in court where she pleaded not guilty, of course, on all charges. And from this point forward, the state began building their case against her. And let me tell you, it was a strong one. So there were a few delays with the trial. At first, it was supposed to be October of 2022. And then it was pushed to June of 2023. And then again, from June 2023 to very recently, October 2023. But even though the date had changed a few times, the circumstances certainly did not. 34-year-old Caitlin Marie Armstrong was facing up to 99 years in prison for the first-degree murder of Mariah Wilson. And not only that, she was also facing an additional 20 years for, get this, escape-causing bodily injury. Yes, this case gets even crazier. Caitlin literally tried to escape again. On October 11th, 2023, after leaving a doctor's visit in South Austin, Caitlin temporarily escaped police custody, which led to a very brief one-mile chase.
New at noon, there is a new video from a KXAN viewer showing accused killer Caitlin Armstrong trying to outrun corrections officers in South Austin, even scaling a wall at one point. New video from this viewer shows what appears to be Armstrong trying to outrun those corrections officers. The Travis County Sheriff's Office says this happened yesterday morning when Armstrong was leaving a medical center near South First and Ben White. She already slipped out of the country once before when she fled to Costa Rica. And obviously she was captured, but I can't help but think, what did she think she was going to do? Where did she think she was going to go? Back to Costa Rica? Be so fucking for real. Anyway, with that out of the way, let's get into the trial. So jury selection took place on October 30th. And by the end of the day, it was decided that Caitlin would face a jury of eight women and six men. The next day, Judge Brenda Kennedy ruled that Caitlin's escape attempt would be admitted because there was some looming question over whether or not it would be admissible. And with that, opening statements began. For the prosecution, Travis County Prosecutor Ricky Jones opened things up with a long but very powerful statement where he explained how and why Caitlin Armstrong should be found guilty of murder. He talked about what evidence would be presented and how it undeniably, irrefutably links the defendant to Moe's murder. On May 11th, 2022, at 9.15 p.m. here in Austin, Texas, the last thing Moe did on this earth was scream in terror. We, when we present this evidence to you through these 40 witnesses here, we're going to ask you to find Caitlin Armstrong guilty of murdering Mo Wilson. And as for the motive, I'm sure that's pretty obvious by now. Caitlin was a very jealous, bitter woman who, instead of just talking to Mariah woman to woman like a real person, she did the cowardly thing and killed her. Now, some of the key witnesses that would testify for the prosecution would be Colin Strickland, of course, as well as two of Caitlin's friends, which I'll tell you about shortly. And the prosecution would end up calling nearly 40 witnesses. And while I wish I could play footage from the testimony, cameras were not allowed in the courtroom during that time. I will, however, tell you about the most important details that came to light. Now, as for the defense, let me explain what their tactics were and how they were gonna explain away all of this evidence. They sort of had two main arguments. And the first was that investigators failed to consider anyone else besides Caitlin. They argued that they set their sights on her immediately and that they didn't do a proper investigation to rule out other possibilities. And their second main argument was that no one actually saw Caitlin pull the trigger. Yes, a car matching the description of her car was seen on surveillance footage circling the house an hour before the murder, but Caitlin herself wasn't seen on surveillance footage entering or exiting the home. And these arguments were driven home by the defense time and time again. You won't hear, and you didn't hear, about any camera footage showing Caitlin Armstrong at the scene of this shooting. Despite there being tons of cameras in the area, and you heard opening statements about all the cameras that were in the immediate vicinity of the scene of that shooting. Not one captures Caitlin Armstrong at that scene because there isn't any. You did not hear about any direct evidence showing Caitlin Armstrong is responsible for this crime because there isn't any. 
Now you will hear at the time Caitlin left Austin to go to New York and then to Costa Rica, she would have no reason to know about anyone that was present in this case. But the Austin Police Department told her she was free to go. She was free to go. That's what you will hear. You will hear that Kate is passionate about traveling. She's passionate about yoga. And you're going to hear that she was totally comfortable <coughs> traveling to far off locations that intrigued her at the drop of a hat on a moment's notice. But obviously, no, the evidence stacked against Caitlin is way too strong. So let's go over that. First and foremost, the Jeep. We know and saw the surveillance footage placed a Jeep matching the exact description of Caitlin's Jeep at the scene of the murder. Sure, Caitlin wasn't seen entering or exiting the car, but no one else was either. And it's funny because the prosecution say that they don't think Caitlin even had some master plan to avoid being seen. And if she did, she wouldn't have been driving around so carelessly. They say that it was entirely a coincidence that Caitlin was not seen getting in or out of the car because whenever she did that, there just happened to not be a camera there to catch it. However, that clearly doesn't mean it wasn't her driving. The Jeep was not only an exact match to her vehicle, but Colin also testified that she wasn't home during the murder and that she got home after alone in the Jeep. And next, of course, we have the firearm. Caitlin's firearm, a nine millimeter handgun, was collected as evidence. And after being test fired, an expert confirmed and testified that it matched the weapon used to kill Mo. There were three shell casings and three projectiles recovered at the scene. One of the projectiles was too mangled to compare. So they got those two guns that they got from the search warrant. Colin's gun and Caitlin's six tower P365 nine millimeter. They test fired those guns and compared those test fires casings to those five found at the scene. From that chair, the ballistics guy is going to tell you how that's going with exclude. Caitlin's gone. Were identified. The results will show that those casings, test cases, were identified as being the same as fired from that gun. Then there's the DNA on the bike. Remember how I explained that Mo's bike appeared to have been stolen and then was found abandoned 68 feet from where she was murdered? Well, they found DNA on the bike and it belonged to Caitlin, of course. But there was also foreign DNA found on the bike. And so, of course, the defense made the argument that police failed to truly investigate that DNA. But explaining away how Caitlin's DNA was on the bike was going to be pretty hard to do. And that other DNA could have belonged to anyone who had worked on the bike or transported the bike, things like that. So next we have the digital evidence. First and foremost, GPS data from Caitlin's Jeep was extracted and it placed her car, her Jeep near the site of the murder. And I mean that alone, and I think we can all agree, is a slam dunk. 
And early on in the trial, the defense tried to argue that you don't know for sure that it was Caitlin's Jeep, but by the end of the trial, they were saying, you don't know for certain that Caitlin was the one driving her Jeep. And if it wasn't already clear, that was an admission from the defense that it was in fact Caitlin's Jeep that was seen on surveillance. But how did the prosecution make the connection that it was Caitlin, in fact, driving the Jeep? Well, once they looked at her phone data, it was clear that her phone was moving in tandem with the movements of the Jeep. Unless you want to try and argue that someone stole her phone and her car, which would just be a terrible coincidence. I mean, come on. This was a coincidence that the prosecution was just not convinced happened. And there was other digital evidence too. It turns out that on Caitlin's iCloud account, investigators found a deleted screenshot of Google Maps. And let me just have you guess where the location was set to. It was to where Mo was staying, her friend Cash's house. But how would she have known where Mo was staying? Well, the prosecution argued that Caitlin had access to Colin's iPad and laptop, where she easily could have accessed his text messages. And that means that she not only knew where Mo was staying, but she also knew that Colin and Mo had spent the day together the day that she killed her. The evidence even suggests that Caitlin had followed Mo and Colin around for at least part of the day that they had spent together on top of circling her house. And we're not even done with digital evidence, if you can believe it. It turns out Caitlin used Strava, which is an exercise tracking app. And she was able to look up Mariah's profile and she did it six times on the day of the murder, six. By looking up her profile, she would be able to see Mariah's most recent movements. Caitlin's internet searches while she was in Costa Rica show that she looked up her own name and then <laughs> she also looked up if pineapples could burn off fingerprints, it's giving guilty. I was so confused by this and I started looking it up and I guess it is a myth that pineapples can burn off fingerprints. And there's some reports that people that work in pineapple plants like over time have their fingerprints burned off. And I'm not sure if any of that is true, but my guess is she had heard about that while she was down there and thought, that be an option for me. Plus in court, they considered the fact that Caitlin left the country and used her sister's passport to do so. And the defense would say that Caitlin leaving the country was totally legal. And maybe it was. She was technically free to go when she was questioned on May 12th. And when she fled the country, she wasn't actually aware that a warrant for her arrest had been issued. They also argued that Caitlin just loved to travel and just happened to do it then because she loved taking long trips out of the country. And it's like, okay, maybe you could make that argument if she didn't also use her sister's passport change her appearance and her name. I mean, come on. So obviously the prosecution pointed to all of that as suspicious behavior. Okay, so let's talk about some of the testimony that the jury heard, starting with Collins. Colin took the stand and shared that on May 13th, he stopped all communication with Caitlin and hadn't talked to her since. He talked about his relationship with Caitlin, his relationship with Mo, and the timeline of events from the day of the murder. And from what I gathered, his testimony didn't really bring anything new to light that we didn't already know, but it was still helpful. And I also mentioned earlier that Caitlin's friends took the stand, and one of these friends was named Nicole. Nicole's testimony was crucial because she said that back in October of 2021, when Mo and Colin first started being romantically involved, that she witnessed Caitlin become visibly angry when she saw the two of them enter a bar together. And Nicole said that she even asked Caitlin what she would do if Colin began dating anyone else seriously. 
And Caitlin responded, I would kill her. I would kill her. And another friend of Caitlin's named Jacqueline took the stand and testified that she saw Caitlin shaking with anger, talking about Colin and Mo. And she told her that she had recently got a gun. So both Jacqueline and Nicole say that they heard Caitlin saying she wanted to kill Mo. And a few detectives were also brought to the stand to talk about the defense's argument that they had rushed to conclusions with Caitlin, but they said that they stood by their work and thought it was the right call. And like I said, there were nearly 40 witnesses that the jury got to hear speak, but they never got to hear from Caitlin. She did not testify in her own defense. And honestly, that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. And it probably was the right call. In closing statements, prosecutor Ricky Jones asked the jury not to go down the rabbit holes that the defense was trying to present. He pointed to every piece of evidence I've just shared with you and reminded the jury that just 19 days before trial began, Caitlin tried to escape. We picked this jury on October 30th. We started our evidence on November the 1st, Dia de las Martas, the day of the dead, November the 1st. It's a day that the Mexican-American culture celebrate those who have gone before them. We started this evidence on the day of the dead. So you see from this video here, you see her? She's not just running from the sheriff's department. No, sir. That's 19 days before this trial. She's running from you and you and you and you and you and you and you. And she's running from all of you on the back row because you are a jury of her peers. Everybody deserves their day in court. And she got hers. And you can see from this video, she didn't want to face you. And so based on the evidence presented, they were asked to find Caitlin Armstrong guilty of murder. The state has met its burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. I think we climbed past that mountain and climbed Mount Everest. Overwhelming. Now, they're about to get up here and send you down a bunch of rabbit holes. I ask you to do me one favor. Tools of a prodigy. She's about to set the world on fire. So don't do me a favor. Do Mo Wilson a favor. And I got one last thing to say to you. Get your notepad. Write a line down the middle of it. If you don't have a notepad, use a notepad in your brain. And when they get up here, do something for me, but do it for Mo. When they say something and singing out a rabbit hole, write it on the left side. If it's proven from the evidence chair, pursuant to paragraph 12 of your charge, write it on the right side of your paper. And we've been here a long time, but we ain't got to stay much longer because when you get to the back, I submit you that when you separate the left side of the paper from the right side of the paper, it's going to be blank. And we can get out here pretty quickly and find her guilty of shooting Mo Wilson in the heart and in the head and taking away this prodigy at the age of 25. 
And luckily, that's exactly what they did. And it didn't take them long. On November 16th, 2023, Caitlin was found guilty of murder after less than three hours of deliberation. And the sentencing phase began just a day after, and a handful of people were able to speak before a decision was made. Now, I want to play two clips from you from these moments that are extremely powerful. I want you to hear from Mo's friend Cash, who experienced unbelievable trauma finding her friend in that condition and trying to save her life. Caitlin, I want you to know that I fought for Mo with everything I had that night. From the moment that I got home and started doing chest compressions, which was the longest 10 minutes of my entire life, I remember feeling so relieved when the police arrived that help was finally there. People who really knew what they were doing and who could help me care for her. I fought for her afterwards when I was pulled from my home by police and taken downstairs. I initially refused to go to the police station that night because I didn't want her to be alone. In one of the body cam videos, I say something along the lines of, I can't leave her. I'm the only one she has here. I couldn't understand why they weren't bringing her downstairs to the ambulance so that they could rush her to the hospital. I asked one of the officers why they weren't bringing her down. And that's when he told me that she unfortunately didn't make it. That was the first moment that night when I realized that there was no coming back from this. I think I had just assumed that as soon as she was taken to a hospital, that she was going to be okay. It never actually crossed my mind in the chaos of that night that she wouldn't be alive, that she would die, that she was already dead when I arrived home. I thought she did such an incredible job looking Caitlin directly in the eye. That could not have been easy. That whole experience, she was just so strong. And I only played you a bit of it, but I want to link the full version below so you can check out the entire thing for yourself. Now, the next clip I'm going to play is also very powerful and difficult to watch. It's Mo's mom, who seems like a wonderful person, and I cannot imagine being in her shoes. And she speaks about how incredibly smart, talented, beautiful, and kind her daughter was. Caitlin Armstrong. I'm not sure if my words can penetrate your heart, but I'm going to try. I hate what you did to my beautiful daughter. It was very selfish and cowardly, that violent act on May 11th. It was cowardly because you never chose to face her woman to woman in a civil conversation. She would have listened. She was an amazing listener. She would have cared about your feelings. She was a caring, empathetic person. If you allowed yourself to actually know her, you never, ever would have wanted to hurt her. This never would have happened. You and Colin could have had a beautiful life together. You destroyed that. You ruined your life, your family's lives, our lives and crushed the hearts of many more. 
when you shot Mariah in the heart, you shot me in my heart. You shot Eric and Matt in their hearts. You shot Mariah's cousins and aunts and uncles and all the people who loved her pierced their hearts. You will have to live with your choices and its consequences just like all of us do on this planet. I will also link her entire statement below if you would like to give that a watch as well. Now, in the end of all this, Caitlin Armstrong was sentenced to 90 years in prison, a sentence that I personally think is incredibly fair. Mariah Wilson was only 25 years old when her life was stolen from her and she was stolen from all of her friends and family by a jealous, selfish, soulless person. Her parents lost a child, her brother lost a sibling, and the world lost an incredible person who was destined to achieve so many great things. As I said earlier, in her honor, I want to make a donation to the Mariah Wilson Foundation. This foundation was created by her family to help honor Mo's legacy by supporting the very causes that she was passionate about. Mo intended to spend her life giving back to the community that shaped her, and this foundation will make it so that she can still do just that. I will have a link below if you would like to make a donation as well. I'm sure her family would really appreciate that, and it's a really wonderful way to honor her life. I'm just so blown away by her family being able to pull this together in their time of tragedy so quickly. I think it's amazing how they've continued to honor Mo's legacy and her wishes. I'm so glad that in the end, Mo got justice, but it doesn't change the fact that her life was stolen from her when she was so young and for no reason. I mean, this was so unnecessary, but that's all I have on this case. I, of course, really want to hear your thoughts on everything that we went over today. That is going to be it for me today, guys. Thank you for joining me for another episode. And make sure you follow the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It really does help me out. If you want to watch the video version of this show, you can find it on my YouTube channel, which will be linked, or you can just search Kendall Ray. I will be back with another episode soon, but until then, stay safe out there.